0: that's out many times ahead of time, but, um, but it fits really, really well with what I'm preaching this morning, because this morning I'm excited to bring a challenge to you, and it's been on my heart for some time. It has to do with evangelism. I want to challenge all of us to move forward in our hearts and actions to become people who truly love and commit to our part in the Great Commission. So we're going to take a little break from our study of Luke to find ourselves in one of Paul's letters, a letter about our great privilege to be part of God's ministry of reconciliation. The big idea this morning, the one idea I hope you leave here with, if nothing else you hear, remember this, all believers should care about and participate in evangelism. And two main points that are going to go with this straight from God's word is that we know to fear the Lord, so we persuade others. And number two, we're controlled by love, so we are his agents of reconciliation. So fear and love, which are the two most powerful motivations, were what drove Paul to mission. So let's read the passage, the main passage for this morning, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I just saw this right as I was preparing the sermon And I don't have the author for it, but I want to read this to you. It's a very short um, uh, devotional type thing. So it says, On the same day, same hour, old Mrs. Schmidt and young Mr. Jones died, one at home, one in prison. The elderly woman had raised a family, spent untold hours on her knees in prayer, and was known around her community as a paragon of charity. The young man, convicted on two counts of murder and one of rape, had been incarcerated for a few years before he was killed by another inmate. Just the day before his death, during a conversation with a prison chaplain, Mr. Jones had confessed faith in Jesus. When Mrs. Schmidt and Mr. Jones died, they both appeared before their Lord, who smiled at both, embraced them both, and said with equal joy to both, Welcome and well done, my good And faithful servants, if this is offensive to you, good, you have begun to understand the gospel. It's not about you. It never has been. The good news of Jesus is equally good to murderers and grandmas pimps and nuns, the best and worst of society. The gospel is not about you, but about Jesus, his work, his sacrifice, his death, his resurrection, his ongoing life for you. It's good news because it is the declaration that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting our trespasses, but counting solely upon the work of Jesus. Some might say, echoing those grumbling workers in the parable that Jesus told, what? You mean that my hard work in the church and community all these years did not earn me more than that good-for-nothing who repented on his deathbed? Yes, that's right. Does that upset you? Do you begrudge God's generosity? Perhaps you misunderstood the gospel all along and thought it was good news about you being rewarded for your hard work. No, It's about you being given the gifts that came from the hard, saving work of Jesus. So quit counting, quit comparing, quit weighing how good or bad you are in relation to others. Instead, rest solely in the incomparable work of Jesus for you, whose generosity invites us all to a faith that receives a full and finished salvation that's the end of what I was quoting to you. And as I saw that, I thought what a perfect way to start the sermon this morning, but my application may be slightly different than the author because I want us to be reminded that some of those undesirable people in our lives may very well be those whom Jesus will be delighted to save. And that makes our imperative from Christ to be his witnesses all the more urgent. Our, main focus and our main two points are coming mostly from two verses in the passage I read. First verse 11, therefore knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. And then verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Fear and love are the two greatest motivations you don't have to think very hard about the most exciting movies or books you love. If there is action, if there is conflict, it usually involves one of those, one or two of those elements. Fear and love. Tyrants have used these factors to control people. Politicians use these in their campaigns to get you to vote for them. People go and work hard and save money because fear and love are in the mix. Fear of not having their needs met and love for family that we want to provide for. Fear and love are truly the two greatest motivators. They certainly were for Paul. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. In this case, The fear is not an outright terror sort of fear, but a reverent, humble fear before the holy God, the one we just sang about. And in that sort of fear, we may find ourselves greatly desiring to please God, and this would be a proper and wonderful way to live in fear. For Paul, this means serving God well. Reverent and proper fear for God should drive us to obedience. And part of that obedience is in keeping the Great Commission, which, if we've read it once, we've read it a hundred times, and we need to read it again. Matthew 28, starting at verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Make disciples. Well, how do you make disciples if they're not believers? So in fear, Paul is saying, we persuade others. Paul was all about persuading others. He wanted to live obediently to God's call And in this, he went about persuading others. Now, it's important that here that we're clear. You and I are not, through our ability to speak the gospel, going to persuade others to believe. However, God's Holy Spirit does persuade people to believe. And he does it through our sometimes weak attempts in sharing the gospel with others. You see, God does the saving, the convincing, the drawing people to himself. He does all of that. Ultimately, we can do none of that. But here's the beautiful thing. He does it through the means he decided was best, through the proclamation of the word of God, which is done by weak people who humbly rely on God to use them and make their message heard. Therefore, knowing the fear of God, we persuade others. This word, persuade, means to convince, to cajole, to appeal to, to win over. So Paul is not saying that somehow people can develop skills to do what only God can do, but they should develop skills as they go in order that they may be pleasing to God, doing the very best work they can as his instruments in proclamation. Sometimes when people hear the word proclamation, they think, well, it only applies to what I'm doing right now, to the preaching That's incorrect. Every believer is given the charge to proclaim the good news about Jesus. And of course, everyone uh, or no one could boast about what is outward, Paul said. Uh, It's the heart that is of concern. Verses 12 and 13, Paul says, We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance And not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Again, the big idea this is the one idea. If you leave with nothing else, all believers should care about and participate in evangelism. And the two main points are that we need to know the fear of the Lord and persuade others, and that we are controlled by love, so we are his agents of reconciliation. Fear and love, those two most powerful motivations, were what drove Paul to share the gospel, and it ought to drive us to share the gospel as well. Let's look at that love that drove Paul. Verse 14, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, Therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Wouldn't it be great if the love of Christ was what drove us in everything we did? Remember what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the ministry of reconciliation. God is the great reconciler. He reconciles men to himself who have sinned, who have broken their relationship with God. He's torn down the dividing wall of hostility so that in his church, people of all backgrounds and colors and whatever else normally divides people, there in this church can be unity and harmony. Paul says, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You could spend all day in absolute wonder and trembling over those two verses alone. But we have to keep moving. It's a powerful statement Paul is making. Don't forget that Christ died for our sake and was raised. What could he possibly request of us that's too much of a hassle or too much trouble for us to do? Is it too much of a hassle to us to obey his command to make disciples considering that he died for us? And then in verse 16, Paul continues, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Look, when people get you down, remember you ought not to be seeing things through a human lens, but through a spiritual one. We battle not against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle out there. Verse 17, this is a well-known verse by many of you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Promised throughout time, God through his prophets foretold of a time when he would make a new creation out of man. He would take the heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. He would cleanse them from all their evil. This was all clearly foretold and in Christ it was fulfilled so that anyone who is in Christ is a brand new creation. The new has replaced the old. Don't we want to see many new creations? Don't we want to be firsthand witnesses to the greatest miracle, a heart remade, a spiritual dead person made alive? While we concern ourselves day by day with wanting to have a nice experiences, can anything top the experience of being part of God's ministry of reconciliation? Yet do not forget whose work it really is in the end. Verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. It's all from God. And yet he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, he gave us mouths to speak the truth to people around us. He put others around us to speak to. He put us in situations where we can be with those who need to be reconciled. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And Paul further clarifies what this means in verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. If he has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation, then what have we done with that trust? If I entrust you with watching my house while I go on a trip, what is expected of you? You watch over it, you make sure everything's okay while I'm gone, you clean the litter box. If you entrust us with your children during a children's ministry event, what do you expect with that trust? You expect your kid doesn't get killed by a dodgeball, (laughs) or that we don't let them starve. Or get heat stroke or something. Or get beat up. We know what we expect when we entrust someone with something valuable to us. So what have we done with the message of reconciliation that God has entrusted us with? Have we done as he expects? Do we have higher expectations of each other when we entrust each other with temporary things than we expect since we are entrusted with the most valuable thing anyone ever could have? The words of God of eternal life. Verse 20, therefore we're ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled with God. We are ambassadors, representatives. God makes his appeal through us of all the ways God could have chosen to make his gospel known in the world. He chose to use flawed people to give the message. Isn't that something? So, God makes this appeal through us. And so, Paul pleaded, he persuaded, he implored people be reconciled to God. Now I know that 2 Corinthians 5.17 is one of those many verses that you have memorized probably and it's a proof text for salvation and it is that because those in Christ are new creations. However, from now on, when you hear or quote that verse yourself, I want you to remember the context. The context is the ministry of reconciliation. I want to go a little further in the passage So that you can get further context, I'll just read through to verse uh, 10 of chapter 6. But starting in verse 21, Paul says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities. Oh, this is quite a list. Beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as imposters and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Paul went through a lot. And all the time, he kept pressing on, motivated by a holy fear and a desire to please God and love. Controlled by love, Paul relentlessly worked to persuade others. We're called to do the same. Statistics show that Christians are not doing so well with this. While 87% of churchgoers say they came because of a personal invite, only 2% of Christians invite someone to church. Do we care that little for the lost, that we do not invite them to church or share the basic gospel with them? I'm sure many of you have seen videos like I have. I remember a video I saw a few years back. There was a man dying on the sidewalk in New York City. There was clearly something very wrong with the man, yet people were in such a hurry to get wherever they were going that they walked right past, ignorant of the seriousness of the man's condition. And anyone who watches a video like that, hopefully, is appalled. Some people even stepped over him. And we we watch a video like that, we shake our head. We're ashamed for a moment of the human race altogether. Or maybe you've heard a story like this one I, heard, I saw a few years ago. A lady died in her home, but no one knew she died. The bills were paid directly from her bank account. The bank account was replenished monthly by her Social Security deposit. The lawn care was contracted and paid automatically, so the only reason someone finally determined that she had died was because her property tax was unpaid. And someone finally went to deliver a final notice, and they figured out she had deceased years ago. The story is so sad. How could it be that a human being could die without anyone noticing or seeming to care? And yet spiritually, every day Christians are stepping over the spiritually dying around us without taking the time to share Christ with them. Right before our eyes, we're watching people as they come closer and closer to their permanent spiritual death. May God help us to open our eyes and may he break our hearts for the lost around us. You've probably noticed by now the Christ candle is out a little early. And I told everyone, don't say anything. Let them sit there and wonder. A little mystery is good, right? But Carol was so nice to put it out for me. Thank you. I asked her to put it out, and she did. It's a reminder to us from now until our Christmas season. A couple of weeks ago, some, many of you were at the planning meeting, and I laid out my plan to challenge everyone at Oasis Church to invite people to church during the Advent season. I'm going to put together a series of sermons on the Incarnation, And these sermons will focus on elements of the Incarnation that Jesus took on flesh to come into our world and ultimately bring salvation. All of the sermons will include a clear gospel presentation. Each sermon will be titled in the form of a question, hopefully to cause unbelievers to be curious enough to come and join us. But just having a good sermon title is not enough. We've all been given this ministry of reconciliation. All of us are now challenged to offer invitations to others to come and join us at the church during this season. We will be putting together invite cards for you to use so that you can invite others. We will have some extra hospitality going on during the week, uh, each Sunday during Advent, and then on Christmas Eve, which is on a Sunday this year, we'll have both our morning worship service and our candlelight Christmas Eve service. And the reason I've asked for the Christ candle to be out early this year is this. The candles have no power or grace within them. They are simply a symbol, a reminder that Christ came. Advent means arrival. Each Sunday morning for four weeks, we light a candle with a theme, and that's to remind us to prepare our hearts for the coming King. Then on Christmas Eve at our evening service, we light the final candle. That's the one right there, the middle one, the white Christ candle. That means Christ has come. Here's my prayer. That God would bless Oasis Church with this privilege that when we light that Christ candle this year on Christmas Eve, that we would be able to rejoice together that this year, the candle not only represents our coming king, who will come again as we expectantly await his return, but for someone that the Lord brings into our midst, this would be a celebration of that same king coming in for the first time into the life of a new believer. See, my friends, I long for our church to see new believers coming to faith in our midst. What greater joy could we experience this Christmas than to see this happen? And see it happen because the people of Oasis Church decided we are going to spend a season of prayer calling out to God to allow us this privilege of experiencing once again the ministry of reconciliation. My prayer has been for us that God would break our hearts for the lost around us. That we would be driven to regular prayer for the lost. And that we would be bold to witness and invite others into the grace of God. It begins with prayer. In a moment, I'm going to ask for some clipboards to be passed around, but not quite yet. Before anyone signs up on these clipboards, I want you to fully understand that if you sign up on one of these clipboards, you will be expected to do certain things that I'm about to explain. Don't sign up out of peer pressure because it'll look good to your neighbors around you in the row. Don't do this for appearance sake. If you sign up, you are promising to pray for lost people. You are going to receive reminders by text each week to pray for the lost. Text messaging prices may apply or whatever (laughs) you've got to say for that. Additionally, if you sign up on this sheet, we are going to pair you with someone, and you might not even know them yet, but don't let that discourage you because it might be a great opportunity for you to get to know someone closely in the church that you wouldn't have known otherwise. But we're going to pair you with someone that you will spend five minutes every week with in prayer over the phone or in person. And we're going to pair men with men and women with women. And kids, if you want to sign up to pray... Then you may if your parent allows it. And the text will have to go to them, probably, because some of well, some of you have phones, but hopefully you'll get paired with someone you don't know or you haven't gotten to know yet, and you'll expand your scope of people you know well within the church. And in the next so we can start passing those out now, Ron, if you could grab them. I think they're back there by Kevin. In the next couple of weeks, we're gonna take a step further. Starting today. I ask that you pray that God would give you 3 to 5 people who you will commit to pray with daily at least from now until Christmas. And in two Sundays we're going to have you provide those names to us. You don't have to give their last name or you can just put their initials and say coworker with their initials whatever. You're going to share those names with your prayer partner. They could be family members, coworkers, neighbors, friends. Now, I want to say that I know that all of us have people who are in other areas that may come to mind, other states, other counties, other cities. Pray for them, too, but this focus is for people that live close enough to Oasis Church for you to invite them to come and join us. We want them to come here and hear the gospel message and experience the love and hospitality of God's people. And we're going to be providing you some specific ideas about how to pray as we go. Um, and starting on October 22nd, that'll be 40 days before the first Advent Sunday. We're going to do a very serious 40 days of prayer. But we're going to start. We're not going to wait for that. We're going to start praying right away. And by the way, John and I have something up our sleeves too that I think you'll enjoy to help encourage you. Um, but that's going to be a mystery too until you find out. So, um, but. We're going to give you ideas for prayer, but for now, I want to uh, give you a few ideas. When we pray Sunday mornings before D6, and anyone's welcome to join us, by the way, we have a prayer meeting every Sunday at 8.30 in my office, and if we get more people, we can move into a classroom. Um, we use the ACTS model, and the ACTS model is just an acronym to remind us of things we ought to keep always in our prayers, which is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, which means requests, Right? So, here's some ideas for you to pray along the lines of the Acts model. For adoration, bless God as the great and awesome God who loves and saves the lost. Marvel at his great gift of salvation. Confession. Perhaps you may need to confess a lack of concern for the lost. I did. I'll just be really honest. Sometimes I get more wrapped up with teaching the people in this church. I forget that there's lost people the Lord wants me to to bring in too. So you may need to confess that. You may need to confess that you haven't been obedient to the charge he gave to be his witnesses. Thanksgiving. Thank God for saving you and giving you a part of his ministry of reconciliation. Supplication. Ask God to give you opportunities to share his gospel with others and invite them to come and experience the real meaning of Christmas. Finally, pray that when we light that Christ candle this year, we will have the very special experience of having new believers join us and understand for the first time what those candles of hope, peace, joy, and love, and finally the Christ candle really mean. Christ, the coming King. So the clipboards are being passed. Now you know what's expected. If you sign up, don't sign up again unless you feel you can do this with us. But let's commit to praying with great intensity, making an appeal to God to give us a harvest of souls at Oasis Church. If you sign up, then in the next week, you're going to begin to receive text messages from us, and then we will begin connecting you with your prayer partner as well. So as I close, I just want to remind you what our big idea was this morning. In fact, do we have it on the screen there, Kevin? Let's put that big idea up one more time. Let's say it together. All believers should care about and participate in evangelism. We know to fear the Lord, so we persuade others. We're controlled by love, so we are his agents of reconciliation. Fear and love, those two great motivations, were what drove Paul to mission. It's what should drive us to mission as well. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you are moving in my heart and wanting me to respond to your command that is called the Great Commission in a more powerful way, in a more intentional way. Lord, I pray that all of us would have our hearts broken for the lost, May I even say, Lord, would you, if it's, if it's needed for someone to break down and weep for the lost in their own home later, would you help them to be able to process what it is to have your heart for the lost? Lord, would you give us people that we will clearly know this is someone I need to focus on, that we would pray for, that we would look for opportunities to share Christ with, that we can invite to church. Lord, if there's anything holding back your people from this great commission you've given us, I pray that we would repent of it and that we would move forward with new confidence in the word of God to say, we can do this together. Paul went through all those things as your agent of reconciliation, We should be willing to be put down every now and then, too, because we shared Christ. So, Lord, I pray that we would have a a greater sense of your ministry of reconciliation. You've given it to us, that you have made us your ambassadors. May that be a real thing to each of us this morning. May we have a better sense that we are children of the living God who has sent us out to do that work. May you energize us, Lord, with the Holy Spirit and empower us to do the work you've called us to do. May we set aside anything that has kept us from it in the past and may we move forward with confidence that Christ, our coming King, has declared to us that this is our ministry. That through us, you call people to believe in you, Lord. Let us sense how much of a privilege it is Lord and may we look forward with great anticipation Lord and finally we don't deserve to be part of this Lord it's only your grace but we ask Lord as a church would you allow us to see a harvest of souls here at Oasis Church who will become your disciples and your precious beloved among us We pray that you would do it, Lord. That in the end, we could look and say, what happened? The Lord did something. That you would be glorified through it and everyone would marvel at what you've done. Lord, would you do it for us and allow us to be part of it. In Jesus' name, amen.